From the hills of central New York in the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank Rossi. My name is Leisha Schwab, and I'm the superintendent at Pheasant Run Golf Course, which is a 27-hole facility north of Toronto. I've gotten to know Leisha Schwab a bit from afar over the last few years. We shared the inaugural Mindful Superintendent Retreat on Prince Edward Island a few years ago. But before that, I noticed her speaking about progressive ideas regarding being a female golf course superintendent and suggestions for us all to be better. Before we get to my conversation with Leisha, and since it's winter weather conditions, it's time for many to be thinking about microdochium patch control and the industry standard Civitas Turf Defense. Civitas Turf Defense from Intelligro, combined with phosphites, have become the industry standard for control, especially for those seeking more organic programs, less reliant on traditional chemistry. Learn more about Civitas Turf Defense available from a variety of distributors throughout the U.S. and Canada in pre-mixed and ready-to-mix formulations, or visit CivitasTurfDefense.com. Looks like you went to college a couple times for business, so you definitely seem to have an organizational sense to you, because I've also heard you talk about the way you manage the folks uh, with you in a, in a very mindful way. So let's start out before the golf course stuff. You're born and raised in Canada. Tell me a little bit about where you're from and your background that led you to being a golf course superintendent. Yeah, I grew up on a farm. My family moved us to Beaverton, Ontario, which is a small town on Lake Simcoe. And we had a farm there. We had Dexter cattle. And so I was very, very lucky to grow up on a farm. And then I got pretty into horseback riding. I rode dressage and I would work at the barn every day. And then I just decided that when I got into my teenage years and I wanted to get a job, I thought nothing better than being outside because that's what I had always done. So I got my first job at Cedarhurst Golf Course, which is in Beaverton. And I was there for about six years, went to college, as you said, for business. I got my business diploma. I was in Ottawa for that. And then I did a golf course build uh, at Windance Golf Course in Uxbridge. And that's kind of what brought me the Uxbridge way. And then when I finished college, I was offered an assistance position at Foxbridge Golf Course in Uxbridge. And I was there for two years until I took over as superintendent. So how is it you managed to stay out of being in the horse industry, another easy way to work outside, and of course sounded like you had good experiences with animals. How is it that your curiosity went towards golf and not towards the horses that were right in front of you? I would say I got on a golf course and I just loved the vastness and how you have to know so many different things. Like your day is never the same. And not that it is at a horse barn, but I just find the amount of skills that you need to know on a golf course was much more attuned to me. I love being in nature. I hike every day. And I found in the horse world, you can end up, you know, in an arena 
for a lot of your time. Showing every weekend, not that our weekends aren't taken away from us as superintendents. <laughs> yeah, as well. I'm waiting for you to get to something that actually is different. It, it had to be <laughs> uh, at some point the arena wasn't a place that, that you wanted yeah, to be. Yeah, I just loved being outdoors more, under the sun, outdoors, working with my hands. You know, I'm not to say that that doesn't come from the farming industry, but I just found a much deeper connection to golf. I I ride a little bit now, but nothing like what I would have to if I wanted it to be. Well, uh, you know, one of the, sure. one of the things I'm doing in this episode is trying to talk about the importance of mentoring, the importance of thinking about leading in some ways. And I'm wondering when you were uh, coming through this business, I'm sure you looked around and said, boy, I don't think there's a lot of human beings that are, look like me, <laughs> look like me. Oh, uh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. uh, so uh, I got to believe, and I've you know been talking to more women intentionally this year uh, that I've known and had in my life for a really long time. It just turned out the damn podcast wound up being a bunch of white guys because that's typically <laughs> what our industry is filled with, right? <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about those first few experiences that either inspired you or, or didn't deter you? Yeah, I would say I count myself so lucky, and I'm sure a lot of other women do as well. When I got my first assistance job, I was 18 or 19, and I had so much support. The guys in the GTA, you know, the Grant Murphys, the Chris Dews, Scott Clayworth, they just took me under their wing. We actually ended up, we would meet uh, monthly uh, and have roundtable discussions, and I joined in on that when I was very young and always had them right at my side helping me every step of the way. Could be any, you know, even just help growing grass. (laughs) Didn't always have to be encouragement in any other way. So I was very, very lucky to have them every step of the way. And so throughout your career, I've noticed this happens to a lot of young Canadians. Uh, I know from my years of traveling around with Dave Kuypers, he also had mentors uh, in his life, right? Yeah. And stayed connected to them. And, you know, as you've sort of stepped out a little bit, been a little bit more outspoken, how has uh, your interaction with your mentors been? Have they still been along for the ride and encouraging you? Or is it, you know, more that you're just doing this with other people in your life encouraging you? Yeah, no, I say that they would encourage me the most. You know, they've been around with me since, you know, for, oh my God, 15 years now. And they've seen that it can be a struggle. And I've been in situations before that I've needed them to have my back. And so they have always encouraged me to get out and speak and feel empowered. And, yeah, just every step of the way, they've been right there. I'm very lucky. Dave Pipers okay. is one of, the, one of the great ones as well. You ain't kidding. Just an all-time great guy. Yeah. And ultimately, this comes to... Uh, have to manifest itself in the way you manage the people now under your leadership at your golf club at, at Pheasant Run, right? So yeah, yeah. It's, it's one thing to talk about ladies leading turf or women in turf or all the various movements, uh, maybe some action occurring, but ultimately you're in a position now where you can, you are leading people at this 27-hole facility. How do you think about creating that inclusive environment at your own place now, knowing that it was so important for you? When I first got to Pheasant Run six years ago, we have a crew of about 25 in the heat of the summer, and I was the only female the first year. Uh, And now I'm happy to say we have 50-50, male to female. 
And I was thinking about this, knowing I was going to talk to you on how do I make it more inclusive? Because I think that there are so many men out there that want to make it more inclusive, but just don't really know what to do. And it comes from a bunch of different avenues, like, you know, not turning a blind eye if someone's acting a little bit inappropriate, but also knowing how to handle that stuff that you're not totally, like, embarrassing and secluding the person that maybe just made a bit of a misstep. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of stuff is, you know, not intentional. It's It's a misstep. It's just saying the wrong thing. It's being in old habits. And I think it's just understanding how to have those conversations. And really that just comes down to people in general, giving people the benefit of the doubt, being willing to sit down and have tough, awkward conversations, and just checking in with everyone to make sure that they all feel comfortable. And it is something you have to be intentional about. Oh, yeah. And I'm wondering, just starting off, what were you intentional about to get it to 50-50 in your workforce? Yeah, I would just talk to a lot of girls that I would meet in various instances about if they had ever considered going into golf. I did a couple talks for uh, the York region, which is this area school board. And I've brought co-op students in, so just trying to find little avenues. And then I found what really happens is if you get a couple girls in here, then they start to tell their friends and they start to tell their sisters. And now it's just a revolving door where somebody's leaving, but they know a young girl that would want to come in. And it's been beautiful. I have some girls that started here that had never worked outside. And now they drive the tractors, they can do anything with the boys, and they love it. And it's just getting over that initial awkwardness. And that's another thing I would say. Like, sometimes we steer away from having young women on tractors and the big equipment. And it's a very empowering thing if you are able, you know, everybody needs training. So it's just spending that time with them. And if they're a little bit more nervous, just being a little bit patient. And what you'll get back is in dividends. You'll get so much back. And so you used a really important word a minute ago that I want to keep talking about here. You know, I'm a father of daughters as well and think a lot about making sure they feel empowered to do what they need to do. Uh, in their life. And I'm wondering uh, when that switch clicked for you. And also, you know, obviously women are harassed more than men, uh, especially in a male dominated industry. You're, you know, I'm going to take my flack for whatever ethnic group I'm going to be associated with. And obviously women have the same situation. It's got to be a little bit tough to be empowered on the heels of being uh, harassed a bit. For sure. But Like I said, that's just about having open conversation. Like, I have lots of chats with a group of girls, and I say, listen, you're going to be out there, and some guy's going to come up to you and going to say something rude, and why do we take that on? You don't need to get rattled about that. You just handle it, and you move on, because you know your capabilities. And it is honestly just continuing to have those conversations every day, checking in, and then addressing it. Like, I've had members before that I've had to go talk to, and you know, that can be uncomfortable as well. But it's not done in like a, you know, I'm not trying to point my finger at them or take them down a notch. It's just saying, hey, we got some young girls and, you know, you said something that made them a bit uncomfortable. I know that wasn't your intention. Like, do you want to talk about it or... and. You just go from there. Yeah. And I'm wondering if for some, hiring a woman 
one woman on the staff to help create that culture might be one may, way of expediting as well. I, I think particularly guys that don't have other women in their lives or just their wife, maybe that's what you mean, that they want those skills. And sometimes it might just be best to start small and say, okay, I don't really know how to set up a culture. How do I go about doing this? Because, I mean, I go to places, there's one bathroom. You know what I mean? There's one locker room still, right? There's one locker room. You can't do anything about the physical structure in some ways. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are about just quick tips for guys to get started with setting up a culture that you think is going to feel more inclusive. For sure. Like, I I definitely know that it is easier for me. I am a female, so when girls come in, I can immediately make them feel a little bit more at ease than, say, a man could. And I did a couple talks in Seattle, and a lot of guys did put their hands up saying that, saying, we've tried, and it was just awkward. And it's not that I don't want women, but I just really don't know what to do. I will be honest, Frank, I don't 100% know the advice to give, but I would say just, you know, when you all sit down at a table, just making a point to chat with her. Just find out about her life. Everybody really just wants to be heard, and really that's kind of the start of everything. Yeah, and I guess not to continue to, you know, think about stereotypes and things, but I think sometimes women in these conditions, I wonder, worry about having to be tough. That there's yeah, this, uh, you have to give up. Uh, many years ago, many years ago, when I started the podcast, I interviewed Sarah Jackson. Uh, she was an assistant superintendent down in Texas. And I remember her writing in a newsletter about, hey, she liked wearing nail polish and, and she liked uh, having a fragrance on. And and she noticed even that the guys would miss it uh, when she wouldn't do it. So I'm wondering about, you know, maintaining that part of our being, whether it's male or female or otherwise, in that place where it isn't normally found. I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, I went through that too. In my early 20s, I thought I had to be so tough and that don't show any emotion and that that was the only way that it could be. But you lose so much. First off, you're not being your authentic self. So right off the bat, you're going to feel uncomfortable and feel guarded because you're thinking about what you're saying before you're saying it. And it's important, I talk about this with my staff too, we all, male, female, whatever, we all have different strengths. And so there's no point in trying to alter your strengths. You have to be authentic, think about what your strengths are, and go from there. Sometimes we get offended by people talking to us like we're women in a male-dominated <laughs> industry, but we you are like, women. You mean like so, podcasts like this? <laughs> yeah, like, we are women. So we got a lot of beautiful things that we can bring to the golf industry. I think the golf industry needs more of that authentic woman spirit. And I think that it's been beautiful for me to watch, you know, after I started Ladies Leading Turf, so many women feel like they have a voice in taking that and, you know, taking the torch, as they say, and running with it. So thinking about at the end of the year, like to reflect on the year, and uh, that's why I wanted to do this episode about leadership. I, I know that you are intentional about it. What's the best thing about leading and what's the hardest thing about leading? Hmm. The best thing about leading is showing people how great work can be. I notice, you know, you'll get a high school student in and you notice just the aversion to working. They, you know, they want to figure out any way to look at their phone or take a break. And it's teaching them that the second you put your head down and you get into your work, it is so fulfilling. And the day flies by. You don't have to be trying to not work. That's one of the best things. 
I would say one of the hardest things is dealing with, you know, personality differences between people. Really what you can fall back on is if you talk to your staff about the morals and ethics that you want to be living by at your golf course, and then you always have something to come back to, like, hey, you did this. Remember when we chatted that, you know, this this is the way that we all want to interact together? Do you really think that that aligns? And, you know, we don't have to come as hard on people. People make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. (laughs) And it's allowing the flex and allowing people to not feel like you're going to smack the hammer down on them if they do make a mistake, because that's no way to learn. Leisha, it is so great chatting with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do it. I really appreciate it, and uh, happy Mary to you. Yes, thanks so much. You too, Frank. Grateful to have the time to spend with Leisha and just as grateful to our friends at the Plant Food Company that have been meeting high-performance turf nutrition needs for more than 50 years. They shared some great words recently on Twitter about our retiring colleague, Professor Bruce Clark, retiring from Rutgers University in New Jersey that also happens to be the home of the Plant Food Company and the site of many university trials with plant food products. You've heard me chat about their products and they're great people. And of course, we appreciate here at Frankly Speaking, you considering plant food products when reviewing your plant nutrition needs. Simple, affordable, and effective products. Learn more at plantfoodcompany.com. I'm Chris Reverie. I'm the golf course superintendent at Allentown Municipal Golf Club. Managing golf under heavy traffic like at Allentown Golf Club creates additional stress from compaction on poorly drained areas and pinch points across the golf course. Dryject sand injection services increases infiltration and that can help alleviate compaction by top dressing, aerating, and amending in one pass. Dryject services keeps the water flowing through your profile and plenty of air in the root zone. Contact your local Dryject service representative or visit dryject.com. Let's go back over your background a little bit. Where you're from and how you started working in this business and made it to Marion under Matt Schaefer. Let's take that first little bit, Chris. Go ahead. So I started out on my grandfather's golf course. He had built a nine-hole course back in 1986, and he expanded it to 18 holes in 1996. And at the time, I was just this little kid out picking rocks out of the fairways not even knowing what I was really doing. It was just finding golf balls in the cow pastures and picking rocks out. So basically, you know, started my career at, at Indian Creek Golf Club, uh, which was in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. Pretty much over the years, took more and more of that on and, you know, developed a relationship with that crew and built that course up. And uh, things were really well. You know, that, that was a great start to the industry. And being at such a young age, I mean, you know, managing people that are twice your age when, you know, you're 15, 16 years old surprised me. And I look back on it and I go, you know, I really respected them. And I think that's why they respected what I did for them and how they interacted with me, which makes me feel really good. And that's a great story uh, of growing up in this business, not so much as a golfer, but as working on the golf course uh, side by side in a family operation. So you obviously took that 
and uh, made it to Rutgers and then to uh, Marion? I actually went from Indian Creek. I had another golf course owner approach me and, and said, you know, would you be willing to come over and take a look at the course? Our superintendent's leaving. So I spent a small stint at uh, Shepherd Hills Golf Club, which is in West Coastville, Pennsylvania. Over the winters while I was there, I was attending Rutgers for their turf grass program. Excellent. So you're well-trained, and you had made your way, I guess you were very hand, a very hands-on operation, the two courses you were working at, right? Yes. So at Shepherd Hills, and even in Indian Creek at the end, but, but really at Shepherd Hills when I came in, I had the title of director of golf. So uh, in the mornings, I was the golf course superintendent, and in the afternoons, I was the uh, you know golf shop manager, so I was handling the the books and the tournaments and daily cash outs and all those things. So let me cut to it. Do you think that in some ways your upbringing made your passion for munis stronger? Because it seems like this is a real passion of yours, municipal golf. Well, I think the one thing that really resonated with me is that being able to step onto a property and show the golfers an immediate change. They're seeing an immediate response and they can say, wow, the course is looking great today. And I, I would have guys come in and tell me and be like, you know, this is the public country club, you know, and we're working on very short budgets. I was using Toro 3000 greens mowers, you know, that were donated to me from Lehigh country club. <laughs> so, you know, everything was, you know, running the old nationals with the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the chain belts and everything. <laughs> and you had to keep parts with you. Yeah, I've put a few of those in sand traps over over the years, uh, for sure. So what you're describing is this idea that people have certain expectations when they come to something that they call a muni, right? And uh, I, like you, take offense to that. Myself and Carl Scamenti work with the state park golf courses and other municipal golf courses because it feels like it's golf for everybody else, right, that can't join a club or really can't afford a high-end daily fee play. Uh, and, and I feel like in some ways what you just described is, is a bit of defying expectations. Yes, and I will tell you that the more you give them, the more they expect. <laughs> so, you know, that keeps growing every year, and I, I keep trying to keep pace with it. But, yes, it's actually having more interaction, you know, with the golfers, seeing the high school kids come up, you know, bringing the high school kids in to work for me. I have three kids that worked for me in the industry. One's now a PGA professional. The other's a golf course superintendent down in Florida. And the other is an assistant superintendent at Congressional. And they all started out working for me. So I really felt good about that. And they thank me all the time and, and call me and, and say the, the things that we did and, and I learned, you know, it's different having money, but I know how to get the job done. Right. That's and great. I think the thing that's important here from my perspective is it sounds like you're having this great impact leading these young people. But at the same time, you look at your profile or the article done on you for the superintendent of the year, you know, your response to the pandemic. But I think the real testament to your work, Chris, is that rounds are through the roof and the city's making money and investing it back into the property. And it seems to be very much related to your dedication and commitment to the work at Allentown. It certainly is a real manifestation of this giving back to this part of the golf community that you seem to take really seriously. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, for everyone in golf, everybody's seen an, an uptick 
you know, across the board. And, and I know I have, I mean, it's December 21st, it's 22 degrees outside right now. And I have 30 people out playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's interesting, but you know, we're, we're over uh, 53,000 rounds for the year. Whoa. That's a lot of traffic. And uh, I have to keep on my toes about, you know, what I'm doing and mitigating traffic and, and doing certain things like that. Yeah, yeah. But uh so you're going to do a renovation, right? What What are they going to do? Are they going to make it easier to move through the property? Maybe take some trees out, open up some alleys where pinch points might be to make it a little bit easier for moving people through? Is that what the renovations are about? So I've started a tree management plan to come in every winter and focus on, you know, a certain section of, of trees that we want to re- get removed and You know, I first prioritize them by turf health. Then secondly, you know, playability. Can we speed a hole up? Sometimes those flip back and forth. But, you know, really being able to get people out in the golf course. And I drove around this morning and everybody's like, hey, I'm going to get out and play golf. And I go, well, you know, if we cut the trees down on the left side of number two, (laughs) you could be out playing golf right now. (laughs) So it's interesting, you know, and I've never seen so many people walk this golf course, pull carts out on this golf course, you know, the high school kids just dropping kids off and and having them spend the day at the place. It really means a lot, I think, to the public. And I look at the city of Allentown, which is, you know, the third largest city in Pennsylvania. And I go, wow, you know, there is a diverse market of people that we could get into the game of golf. This is so great. This is so great. And so what it makes me think about as a perfect segue is to, you know, how you've come in and really transformed and been leading that place. And also, you know, I'm a big fan of the Grassroots Ambassador Program. Uh, I've chatted with Hava and and Bob and Michael over the years in government relations at GCSA. I'm a big, strong advocate for that ambassador program, unabashedly so. It's because I think a lot of the skills that you guys get in that training serve you well, not only to lead, uh, maybe in a place like Washington, but also do better in in dealing with uh, your golfers and your clientele and the administrators uh, that you have to deal with. Can you take a minute, Chris, and talk about the impact the ambassador program has had on your career? Most definitely. And and what you just said there, when I won the Grassroots Ambassador Award a couple months ago, the city of Allentown actually called me in and they said, you know, Chris, we have a proclamation for you. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, God, what did I do wrong? (laughs) And as I show up at city council and they present me with this plaque and say, you know, that they're very appreciative of the work I do for the city and, and and the environment and how I'm involved in the government affairs and then what we're doing and, and what's that's bringing to the city of Allentown. So, you know, city council then looked at that and said, he's bringing stuff to the city. You know, this is more of an asset. And I think they're starting to look at the golf course much differently than they did before I got here. Okay. So this is so great to have a chat with a guy, a guy like you trying to lead this way. It looks like that award and your training is definitely serving you well. And I can tell, and it sounds like with 54,000 rounds, something like that, uh, you got plenty to do, uh, you know, on a pretty regular basis. So why have you decided to run to be a national delegate? That's a bold move uh, for somebody that's already pretty busy. Well, it was one of those things where, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I had the the infrastructure in place here at the course, you know, it's going on about eight years now that, that I've been here. 
To be honest, with technology today, putting soil moisture sensors out there and having a weather station and, you know, having an individual on property that, that I know is not going to be kind of like, oh, let's not bother Chris. You know, he's, he's going to be like, no, no, I'm on the phone with Chris and his name's Kevin Krause. He's, he's my assistant and he's doing a fantastic job. You know, I was at the delegates meeting and, you know, the guys were kind of like, yeah, no, everything's fine. And he calls me and he goes, I'm running water. Things are looking purple. I said, go for it, man. I, I trust you 100%. So having an individual like that really enables me to kind of get away. But we talk three, four times a day, every day while I'm gone, you know, in the morning, during the day, talk to my mechanic at night, just seeing how the day went, how, you know, if they have any issues. And, and I'm very open with that. You know, I'm the kind of guy, the superintendent that I don't really take a vacation, you know, take a couple personal days, maybe here or there, you know, take some time off at Christmas or Thanksgiving for a couple of days, but I'm 24 seven. So I don't, I don't ever turn my phone off. You'll never send me an email and get a uh, out of office reply. So it's gotta be from uh, growing up on your granddad's golf course that you feel uh, so committed to making sure that the operation runs smoothly. And I know that other than time, trying to take a leadership role also, you know, has its ups and downs. And so I'm doing this episode on on leadership. And, you know, I identified you particularly as a young man trying to assert some leadership in the industry, certainly that I admire the hard work you do on the golf course. But I'm wondering when you think about becoming a leader, uh, what are the things that come to your mind as things that you really like uh, that you can do and, and things that are really hard uh, sometimes when you're leading? Well, you know, I think, and I had a tough decision to make. You know, I wasn't supposed to be the superintendent here at Allentown. You know, I knew the guys here, and it was kind of a layover after Marion. And I was looking to maybe move back down to Philly. You know, I was just going to be here for a couple months, and, well, a couple months turned into me being the golf course superintendent. You know, I had in the back of my mind, you know, if I took the job at a municipal course here, you know, would I ever be able to get back into, you know, a country club? As the, you know, time progresses and I reflect on the time that I've spent on some of these country clubs, I think I'm more comfortable and a better fit here in public municipal golf. I've, I've represented them. You know, we worked on in Pennsylvania when the governor shut us down uh, for golf. I was on the coalition to uh, make sure that we got golf back open again. It was a phone call to our senators, our, our all of our advocates, our lobbyists, and, and basically said, listen, I mean, you're talking about $4.8 billion in golf in the state of Pennsylvania. I think we need to revisit this. You know, we were fortunately only shut down for about a month and a half. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. It's so great to hear your story and how things are going so well down in Allentown. And also that, you, you know, you talk uh, with great value for the people who are supporting you, particularly at Allentown, while you're trying to lead in different ways in the industry. I thank you for that. And I wish you a very uh, merry happy over the next couple of months and, and, that, and that you get a little break from so much traffic down there in Allentown. Thanks for taking the time, Chris. I appreciate it, Frank. Thank you. Big thanks to my guests today, Lisa Schwab and Chris Reverie. Frankly Speaking is brought to you by our friends at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass. 
the plant food company providing nutrient management solutions to golf course superintendents to enhance playability for 40 years, and IntelliGrow, makers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. You can listen to us on Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Frankly Speaking is produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management John Kiger, graphic design Nicole Rossi, theme music Tucker Rossi, and executive producer Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.